never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. week's episode of the top five report the podcast that would like to wish all of our fellow podcasters a happy podcast day um my name is drew i'll be your host for the evening along with me as always my brother peter hey man here um so yes if you, didn't, if you didn't know um we're recording this on a monday which is kind of out of the norm but it's just our schedule stuff uh, but the previous Saturday was actually National Podcasters Day. So I just to you, Peter, happy podcast day to all of our fellow podcasters <laughs> out there. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you recorded something. Us, we didn't do anything on podcast day. And I meant to send out a tweet and completely forgot. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of bummed I missed it. I usually listen to a lot of podcasts like every single day, but I didn't listen to anything on uh, Saturday. Um, I was, what's that? No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just at, actually at another wedding this weekend. And uh, yeah, I didn't have time to listen to any podcast this, <laughs> for this podcast day. But I uh, know what were you going to say? No, I was going to say I listened to three podcasts on Saturday and it and I literally was like, oh, yeah, it's National Podcast Day. I need to send a tweet at least to say happy podcast day to all the fellow podcasters. And then I was like, huh, I totally forgot to do that by the end of the day. <laughs> I just nice. like it just kind of completely blew right past me. So. It is um, it is a weird holiday because it's kind of what are you supposed to do? And I guess you're supposed to listen to podcasts or record them. But I mean, that doesn't seem out of the ordinary for me, at least. So I don't know. But I guess I try to live every day like Halloween as well. So it is what it is. Yeah. Um. So let's jump right into it, man. What are we watching? What are we reading? Anything? Yeah, so um, I meant to, like, watch and read more, but just since we're, like you mentioned, we're recording a little early this week, I didn't get a chance to watch much, but I did get a chance to watch Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Um, yes. Did you have a chance to see this movie as well? I did, but I got something else I needed to mention, so you want to say okay. that? Or do you have anything else or? Uh, no, that's mostly what I've had, because like I mentioned, I was kind of out of town and had like uh, this wedding and stuff this weekend. So I didn't get a lot of time otherwise, but um, I did get a chance to see that and it was really fun. So I look forward to our discussion. But uh, yeah, what else did you watch and read? OK, uh, yeah, we're only holding on Venom because Peter and I have to uh, dual discuss. But um in terms of watching, I said I was watching uh, Cobra Kai on Netflix. Like I said, I know I'm behind the bandwagon a little bit. Um, I'm almost caught up to current because I know there's a season coming. Um, and I'm also uh, giving them what you're a rewatch because I know those new episodes are coming. Oh, nice. And um, the only reason I'm giving that a rewatch is because we talked previous episode, a couple of episodes ago about the lore dumping. And there's just a ton of it. So in the realm of me trying to understand the show before the new season starts, I wanted to just give it another pass. So my brain was like up to par. 
because I didn't read. That's those. awesome. So, um, but have anyway, you watched the Have you watched the animated Witcher movie yet? No, my plan was to rewatch the first season and then watch the animated Witcher movie, which means I could be an episode or two behind on the Witcher once the new season starts. But at the same time, they give you the whole season at once, so yeah. A lot of times you can't really talk to anyone anyway until you everyone's caught up, you know, so I'm not. Yeah. Really and that's in that span. That's going to be perfect as well, because uh, watching that animated movie after rewatching the first season of The Witcher, you're going to have so much of that lore just fresh in your head. So you, when you watch the animated movie, you won't have to play catch up at all. All and you can just kind yeah. of be in that world and absorb the uh, entertainment in that movie. But I do look forward to your review of that one because I actually really liked that animated film. But uh, yeah, what what else do you get? Well, the reason I wanted to bring up Cobra Kai is because um, first off, I'm having an absolute blast with this series. And I feel bad that it took me as long as it did to actually start watching it. Um, and when I say absolute blast, like it's, it's <laughs> so smart and they're so like correct with their writing and when i say correct it's like they're doing it's like they're doing the lord's work on this one man they they really like and i don't know if it's an issue of them going long form like you have the three movies with daniel laruso and then they're basically expounding on it on this television show and it's maybe because the tv show is allowing the long long form i'm not 100 percent sure but they're doing these really cool things where something will impact the characters and then they'll do like a flashback sequence. But when they do the flashback sequence, they're showing you footage from the original movies. <laughs> nice. Which is it's just it's so smart what they're doing to the show. But the reason I wanted to bring it up was because the season two finale blew my mind. OK, and this is not a spoiler, really, because it's a show about karate. So, you know, that there's going to be a fight scene on occasion. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, there is. So it's. Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence, the two main characters, the two rivals from the original film are each have their own karate dojo and they're each teaching their own students. Well, the students all go to school with each other and they're always like, you you know, there's a rumble that's eventually going to happen. Well, Mm -hmm. it's the first day of school and a rumble between the two dojos happen. And I'm going to tell you something, dude. This is a half an hour television show. There was... Five minutes of exposition at the beginning of the episode, and that's when the rumble happened. It was 25-minute non-stop <laughs> karate amazingness within the school. That's part, awesome. Part of you is like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Holy crap. It just keeps going and going and going. And then part of you is also like, where are the teachers? <laughs> Like I, they probably had so much fun filming that episode. Like I was completely blown away. It just never quit. Um, it was literally like a 20 minute fight scene and the way it was all put together, it was just absolutely incredible. Um, Peter, I, I don't know if you were a karate kid fan or if you saw the other movies, cause I was pretty young when I saw the original. So I don't know if you saw the others, but the, um, I, I liked the movies, but it was never really yeah. like, it was never like uh, it wasn't like a Star Wars where I rewatched and rewatched and rewatched. Um, but it, this show is making me want to rewatch the movies. But I feel like in nice. this weird way, because of the flashbacks, I am rewatching the movies in this weird way. Um, oh, that's awesome. But I highly, highly recommend the show. It's so good. So nice. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to check it out sometime. It's uh, it is one of those things where I do remember um 
you and Scott, for example, watching the Karate Kid movies like a decent amount growing up. So I've I've seen all of them. Um, I'm definitely the most familiar with the first one and the second one. And by the time you get to the third, I don't know if I could even tell you a lot of the main plot points. But um, I did. I do enjoy I do enjoy the movies. And what we're going to say so far, they only made a couple references to the third one. Yeah. Not many references to the third one, but the other two, uh, the other, the first one and the second one, they've got the references in there. So nice. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I do enjoy them. I just, I'm just I've never been a hardcore fan. But, yeah, this it sounds like this would be a good show to dive into at some point. So sounds awesome. Well, at any rate, let's talk about Venom. Um, let's. So first off, uh, initial reactions. What do you think? Um, I really really enjoyed this movie um this is if you let's see the biggest comparison that comes to mind for me um is if you watch uh the movie it chapter one that is a very serious kind of scary movie with some humor here and there and it chapter two is kind of a mostly funny goofy horror movie with some scary stuff here and there and i kind of got the same vibe from uh going from venom to venom let there be carnage i feel like the second installment really embraced the humor and just the ridiculousness of the situation and i honestly thought it was a lot of fun um there's a lot of moments of this movie that felt very comic booky whether it be from like uh the part where <laughs> Venom, uh, Venom was controlling uh, Eddie Brock's hands to make him redraw all the graffiti in uh, Cletus Cassidy's uh, prison cell to make him like redraw all that and like fast forwarded motion motion that felt so cartoony and comic booky to me. But I was like so glad that this movie went there as well as, um, you know, just some of the ridiculous action scenes like you have carnage escaping from prison and one of the things he does in the giant sort of prison escape fight scene is he spins around really fast and makes a tornado that takes down a bunch of prisoners and prison guards etc and that felt so like something you would only see in a comic book you'd never expect that to see that in a live action movie and i just absolutely loved it um i know this movie has its goofy moments um it's not going to win any Oscars, but I just thought it was a really fun time. And another aspect to that is the movie's only an hour and a half long. And to me, it felt like the perfect runtime because at no point did it, did it ever like my, my attention never strayed away at no point in the movie. Like it wasn't too long at all at any point. And I felt like all the tension was just slowly ramping up all the way till the end of the movie. And for me, it was overall really satisfying. All that being said, I don't, I haven't been paying attention to reviews or anything for this. I don't, I have no idea what people online are saying about this thing, but I enjoyed Venom 2 quite a bit. Uh, how about you? So I also really enjoyed this movie. Um, real quick, before we go any farther, uh, we're going to spoil the crap out of this. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I should have said that before I gave Peter his initial reactions, but we're going to spoil this. Um, but that's the brilliance of our podcast release schedule. It allows us to talk and you guys not be uh, completely ruined because if you really cared, you already saw the movie. Um, the uh, I really enjoyed this movie. There's I have a lot of points. Um, first up, let's talk about the runtime, the 90 minutes. Um, I was wondering how that was going to play out 
And then I saw the movie and I realized when I got to the cathedral, I was like, wow, this is this feels like third act. And I looked yep. at my watch and I never look at my watch at a movie theater, but I looked at my watch and we got to the cathedral. I was like, holy crap, this is third act. There was not one moment where the exposition was legit downtime. All the exposition where the normal downtime in a movie, it was either embedded in action sequences or whatever. It's moved so fast. It was so tightly edited. And it just, like you said, you never, your brain never wandered. It like stayed in the story. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it connected in the perfect way. Um, Andy Serkis, the director, um, famously known as uh, for like Gollum and Lord of the Rings and the Planet of the Apes movies and stuff. And then he also was the claw in the MCU. Um, he yeah. was very adamant about it, making it a 90 minute film and wanting it to, and not wanting the exposition to bring down the film at all in terms of pacing. And I, he like masterful job in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, the big surprise for me in terms of characters was I was not expecting to see shriek um, at all. And I think it's just because of expectations. Uh, we don't know what this spider verse means. You know what I mean? And we don't know <laughs> yeah. And for Sony spider verses other than knowing about like, you know, Morbius is coming and that kind of thing. Um, we know they want to play nice with Disney and deal with that. We'll get to that in a moment, <laughs> but we know we want to eventually have that moment where Venom's within the MCU. Um, and what's interesting is that when I read a comic book, like I'm going to use Maximum Carnage for an example, the prison break directly from Maximum Carnage, the prison break with Shriek directly from Maximum Carnage, Venom and Carnage battling directly from Maximum Carnage. Literally what was missing out of the Maximum Carnage stuff was Spider-Man and a few other handful of characters and a few other characters. Otherwise, like you were basically doing Maximum Carnage in a tight right. nine minutes. Um, and it was like that prison break was right from the books. Um, I just thought that was phenomenal. Um, so my brain kept like thinking about comic book moments as I went through it. That's what kept going through my head. I'm like, Oh, that's from that. That's from that. I, I will say I was really impressed that they used venom said lethal protection at one point. And I was like, Oh my God, that's great because venom is the lethal protector. And, um, I was like, oh, that's brilliant. That's that's such a cool way of wording it. And then they said lethal protector probably six more times. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And if you didn't if you didn't catch it the first time, we're going to say it like at least more times. Kind of like that. Yeah. Kind of like the big Spider-Man. Great power becomes great responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) They'll say over and over and over again. So, you know, you didn't forget it. Um but uh, I loved the fact that they called him the lethal protector, especially by the end of the movie. And he said, that's what we are. And I'm like, that's awesome. Um, and then Carnage looked like Carnage. And that's what we wanted, man. We wanted Carnage to look like Carnage. It was great. Um, you know, I always in my mind expected Carnage's voice to be different. Like I always yeah. heard a different voice when I read the comic books. Um, I don't. No, like the voice was fine. I have no I have no complaints over the carnage voice. I just was expecting something different, I think, (laughs) Um, because my brain translated it differently. So. So I remember um, I remember in the first one being shocked to find out that uh, 
Tom Hardy did uh, Venom's voice as well as Eddie Brock's, and I thought that was really cool. And so I'm assuming maybe Woody Harrelson actually did Carnage's voice, which um, maybe that's why there's the voice disconnect. But I'll agree that Carnage's voice isn't how I typically always remind uh always think of it as in my head as well. And for me, it actually goes back to the original Spider-Man game um, for PlayStation, where (laughs) the carnage voice from that game is kind of just what I always hear in my head. Um, And this movie wasn't that. But at the same time, to me, that's like a pretty small nitpick when I was pretty satisfied with everything else. Um, You did mention um, Andy Serkis directing this movie, which I'm actually pretty glad you brought that up because I actually thought cinematographically, whatever word (laughs) I should use there, uh, I thought this movie was actually pretty great. Um, Some of the shots were really awesome. I mean, you could tell just by the trailer, um, some of the scenes from like the cathedral or church fight scene, um, you know, especially the one where you have the shot of Carnage, who is suspended midair, like backlit by this giant stained glass window behind him. And it just looks super epic and badass. But then there's also like a lot of just the quieter scenes. I was really impressed by the cinematography, like, uh, there's this part where uh, Eddie Brock is visiting Cletus Cassidy while he's in prison. And there's this shot of the side of the two of them talking. And uh, Eddie Brock is standing outside of this cage that uh, Cletus Cassidy is in. And it's like this really cool silhouette, like side shot where you see Eddie Brock standing completely free on one half of the screen. And then you see Cletus Cassidy sitting within this cage on the other half of the screen. And it, it's just this really cool, like juxtaposition. It's like that one shot tells like the story of where each of those characters are at in that moment. And, uh, just really cool stuff like that. Um, I've praised the uh, Mowgli movie on Netflix plenty of times before, especially the cinematography in that movie. Uh, that's another Andy Circus film as well. So I think Andy Circus, like visually, I think he's a great director. And he's in that regard, I don't think he probably gets as much cred as he deserves, if you will. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. You you did dissect a lot about this film too so i'm kind of thinking of other things to say but um it sounds like we both enjoyed it <laughs> which is awesome <laughs> well real quick uh andy circus voiced carnage oh really okay interesting yeah um and that was because Woody, Harrelson, that Woody, Harrelson, Woody Harrelson requested uh that andy circus do the voice of carnage um mm-hmm. so but yeah uh so i don't yeah i i for some reason, I always like. I always in my head thought I, I kind of <laughs> carnage to be a little more screamy, like mm-hmm. a higher pitch, screamy kind of a tone. And I think it was the alien symbiote that allowed us to do that. Um, that I think that's just why I pictured that. I don't really know what I was in my head. I, I don't know how to describe what I was hearing in my head when I was reading like Maximum Carnage, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, the one um, I want to know what the deal with Mulligan was at the end of Detective Mulligan. What the deal with his uh, what him what him what what was his deal at the end of the movie when uh, you think he's dead and then like his eyes start glowing blue and he says monsters. And I was like, what? And it was really funny because I was thinking I was literally thinking, what? And yeah. at the same time, the guy behind me in the theater went out loud. What? 
you know, and it was great because the two guys behind me were talking comics. They were clearly readers of comics. Like the way they were discussing stuff is very clear that they, as opposed to just watch the movies. So him and I were probably on the exact same page. We didn't talk like after the movie or anything, but we were probably on the exact same page. So, um, yeah, I, I, I remember that moment and I remember being left clueless as well, but I thought it was kind of a cool loose end to leave in there, you know, that might be, might be answered in venom three. Um, but I don't know. I think I kind of chalked it up to be like it might just be another symbiote that he um, contracted or that he's being the host to now. Like we saw how easy it was for uh, all right carnage to be created. So that's kind of where I was thinking. But it is very ambiguous. You know, that's that's fair. I wasn't thinking symbiote at the time. I was more like I was just more like, what? <laughs> you know, like, what, <laughs> what are we doing with this? Um, that was the only, that's the only, honestly, that's probably the only real criticism I had of the movie. Um, yeah. the, uh, and aside from hearing lethal protection <sighs> times, um, let's talk about the bonus scene real quick and then head jump on the news. So this, yeah, bonus absolutely. Scene, this bonus scene drew a resounding F yeah from three people in the audience <laughs> out loud. Like literally they were just, it was really kind of funny that I heard it from the back of the theater. So I'm going to spoil the crap out of this bonus scene. So mid credits, there's no scene at the end end of the credits It's mid credits. Uh, you see Eddie Brock talking to Venom and they're watching a uh, uh, like a telenueve in a hotel room on vacation. And there is a like there starts to be like a shaking. And then there's like an explosion, like an atom bomb that went off in the background and you see the big flash of light, almost like a Tom, a nuclear weapon went off, right? Mm-hmm. The shaking stops and they're clearly somewhere else. They're like, this isn't the hotel room that they know. And some dude walks in, he's like, what the hell is going on in here? But what's interesting is on the news on the TV is no longer the telenueve. It is the news broadcast of J Jonah Jameson outing, Peter Parker as Spider-Man and you see Tom Holland, Spider-Man from the MCU and Venom seems very excited about this. And um, I'm not going to spoil the line of dialogue or anything, but it's like Venom seems very excited about this. And that's where the guys from behind me in the theater went F yeah. Um, (laughs) And I was right there with them doing the same thing. Like that's amazing. Um, This is my prediction and I'm going to make, I'm going to go out on a limb and make a legitimate prediction. And I'd have to go back and look at this. We were dealing with several films that had to be pushed back due to COVID restrictions and crazy COVID scheduling. I honestly think now Andy Serkis said that the Venom scene, this bonus scene was not 100 percent. Was not 100 percent certain that it was going to happen until very, very late in the filming process. I have a feeling that Spider-Man's date being pushed back was supposed to release (coughs) Venom because I think that that explosion, that white light, whatever it was, was the multiverse ripping open and pulling Venom into the MCU. Right. Or at the very least, pulling the Spider-Verse into the MCU. That is my personal thinking. I don't know. So now I'm kind of like... Now I'm kind of looking at my shelf and we're going to have conversations. What are the order you watch things in? And 
I'm trying to figure out where Venom and Venom 2 are going to fit on the shelf kind of situation. Um, <laughs> yeah. just, just like the, the, the smart play, okay? Because Venom is very disconnected from everything going on, but there might be a really good place where you could slide it in pre-Endgame so Venom 2 full, falls in after Endgame. So you don't disrupt anything. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Just yeah trying to figure out, I'm just trying to figure out a good place to watch them so as things progress – it doesn't look weird. Um, yeah, but that's just my thinking. And, you know, it, in, the, in a way, it'll be my own headcanon anyway, because everyone argues about how you watch them. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. Did you have anything to say about that bonus scene? Um, um, I basically described the whole thing. But any, any thoughts? No, no, I liked it. It was a little bit spoiled for me like it wasn't. But um, so my uh, brother in law sent out this text that the. Um, the bonus scene for this movie is amazing. You know, like he was really jazzed up about it. And this was before, you know, this was like on our way to the movie theater. We found out about this and I was like, well, what would it be that would get him that excited? And, uh, I thought about it and I realized, Oh, it's gotta be Tom Holland. Like he's got to make an appearance. And, uh, that's, I mean, lo and behold, that's what happened. So when it happened, I was like, well, I called it, but, this weird multiverse uh, situation that's going on here is very intriguing. So I look, <laughs> I look forward to seeing where this this is going. But uh, I did call it a little bit. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it was it was, pre- it was pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> nice. Well, we're going to see where this plays out. I'm just I'm excited. I'm just excited in general. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah, so I liked Venom. You like Venom. Let's talk about the news. All right, so- let's go for it. Perfect. All right. So I got a couple quick ones, apparently. And this is one I don't know. Like, I was kind of surprised to see this as a thing. Ridley Scott, director of Gladiator um, and the upcoming The Last Duel, um, says that Gladiator 2 is moving forward and will start filming soon. That's really interesting. I I don't remember how Gladiator 1 ended. (laughs) I think he died. I'd have to go rewatch the movie. Like I saw, I've seen the movie a few times, but I just don't know how that plays out now. So, um, I mean, Ridley Scott's a good filmmaker. I just was, this was not, that was not what I was expecting at all. Yeah. Uh, I feel like he's a, I feel like he's at the point in his career where he's kind of just doing whatever he wants, you know, like, uh, like even with his alien movies that he keeps making, like it's not necessarily that people are demanding for them to be made, but he just has a vision and he has the ability to tell these stories and it's awesome to see it happen. So, I mean, I don't think, I think this is the same case where like, I don't think anybody's forcing him to make another gladiator movie, but he just has a story that he wants to tell. So I'm excited to see where he goes with this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, Game of Thrones prequel series, House of the Dragon. According to George R. R. Martin, the the TV show will have seventeen dragons. Um, All right, sweet. <laughs> I thought that was awesome because when if you're HBO and you're like, what sells? Um, what made what what is the one? What's one of the things that made Game of Thrones really sell? Dragons. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, I just thought that was great. We're going to see lots of dragons, but it's also going to be sad because we're going to see lots of dragons die, too, um, because uh, we have to see the uh, it's it's basically the uh, Targaryen Civil War is what uh, the show was going to be based around. And uh, we're going to probably see the fall of the House Targaryen uh, to begin with, uh, which will be kind of interesting. So we can see some dragons bite it. Um, 
<laughs> the Eternals. The Eternals are um, getting the runtime for the Eternals is two hours and thirty six minutes. So strap right. it. So strap in for a long one. This makes it the second longest Marvel film um, next to Endgame. Um, yeah. So yeah, strap I in. Mean, for, yeah, go ahead. It seems like a very long story to tackle anyways. Like this looks to me like uh, the fountain, like as in reference to like the Aronofsky film, like this is like the fountain in the MCU. Like this is a century spanning story and uh, it makes sense that this one would be long. And let's just hope it's good enough to hold our attention the whole time, you know? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, no, I hear you. And it does seem like a, uh, it very it seems like a very epic movie, but for characters that none of us know, that's a very lengthy time span for us to sit with. So absolutely. And I'm not saying the movie doesn't look good because that trailer, the movie looks fantastic. I'm just saying that the uh, the movie by itself, um, I just hope like, it makes me think if it's going to be that lengthy of a film there's going to be big ramifications for the MCU going forward after we're yeah, done watching it. Yeah, that's that's what I was hoping for, too. Like, let's hope there's a really good payoff with, um, you know, with watching through all that. So we'll see, I guess. <laughs> all right. Um, continuing with Marvel, Charlie Cox, who played Daredevil in the Netflix Dead Daredevil series, is rumored to appear as Daredevil in the upcoming Disney Plus series Echo. All right. OK, first off, let's, <laughs> let's unpack this one. That's awesome. Charlie Cox is going to come back Two, that char- That's awesome. Charlie Cox is willing to continue playing Daredevil three. I don't remember them ever saying that there was an echo show coming to Disney plus. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know about that either. <laughs> and, and four, but, uh, do you know who echo is because I have a feeling several of our listeners went who, <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, echo, echo is a, all right. Let me try and work this. Let me see if I can find a good way of explaining this. Remember in Endgame when we saw um, Hawkeye had become Ronin and he's like beating the crap out of the Japanese Yakuza? Yeah. Okay. So um, Hawkeye becomes Ronin in the comics and there's this whole Ronin storyline and they deal with a character. uh, There's like this female ninja-esque character um, called Echo. And then, and she has a heavy part in the Ronin storyline. Apparently there's going to be an Echo television show on Disney plus. So yeah. I just wasn't expecting that. So it's going to be lots of ninjas and martial arts. And, uh, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, nice. but I just wasn't expecting it. And when I was watching the, uh, Hawkeye TV show, uh, trailer for Disney Plus, I could have swore I saw Echo in the trailer, or at least someone who I thought was Echo. So maybe that's where that's coming from. Oh, uh, sweet. So maybe that's maybe it's a not necessarily a spin-off, but it's like, okay, we're moving to new ground and here we go, next character setup, that kind of thing. I don't know. But Yeah. Um interesting. Well, how about this? November 12th is Disney Plus Day, so hopefully they lay out a whole bunch of stuff for us. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> there's all these days every <laughs> I know every day is like a different day. <laughs> all these days. All right. Director of Thor, the Dark World wants uh, Alan T- Taylor, filmmaker. Um, he wants a Snyder Cut do over of Thor, the Dark World. 
Okay. Here's the thing. So he wants to shoot additional scenes to fix Thor the Dark World? Maybe. Um, okay. It's, it's more of a – it sounds like he wants to do a big director cut and thinks the movie could be better. Um, and it, it, it's kind of like I want to do over, but I want to do it in a Snyder cut kind of a way. Um, that's awesome. I think we should have a Snyder cut for everything, to be completely honest. <laughs> to be yeah. honest. But um, I don't know. Like, I guarantee that it's not going to happen. I just thought it was an interesting article. But I was like, huh, all right. Well, you just kind of want to do over in a way. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that he I know that as a director, he was not happy with the way it, and like in hindsight, he's not happy with the movie. Um, Interesting. I, I like I like Thor, Thor the Dark World. Um, I know a lot of people give it a bad rap, but I'm not necessarily sure why. Like, I think the villain was a little bit weak, maybe um, as far as his characters characterization. But otherwise, I actually really enjoy that movie. So I don't know. I think I'm in the unpopular know, opinion club there. <laughs> or the Dark World has aged better than you think. And I say that because for a couple reasons. One, Endgame made Thor the Dark World better. Two, Thor the Dark World, what I was not aware of was the involvement with the Russo brothers, or the, not Russo brothers, but the writers. So the guys who wrote yeah. Captain America 1, Captain America 2, Thor the Dark World, Infinity War, Endgame, like, the guys who wrote all the big ones, they wrote Civil War, they wrote, ev- like, all the major, major movies that we, like, cling to the most within the MCU, they wrote Thor the Dark World. So um, that's when I found that out, it made me look at Thor the Dark World a little differently. And I appreciate that movie much more. So it's not I don't think it's as bad as people think it is. Um, So the director, I think, can relax a little bit. But hey, that's just me. (laughs) Uh, All right. Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit with Disney has been settled. Interesting. I did catch word of this, but I didn't look into any details about it. So, um, yeah, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, what happened? It's basically they settled. They figured out they they came to an agreement on the payment because we've talked about this in the past. She basically kind of because her contract was predicated on box office dollars. Like she got paid up front, but there was a line in her contract about being owed money based on box office dollars. And half of the box office was split with Disney Plus, which she was not privy to. And Disney basically took the money and ran. And it was like 60 million dollars total off of Disney Plus. Um, And they were saying that Scarlett Johansson was owed like a minimum of 50 million or something like that. In the negotiating process, Scarlett Johansson is coming out of this with $40 million. So it's a $40 million settlement that she's being paid out. The cool thing is, is that there's no bad blood between Scarlett and Disney um, because this is going to allow Scarlett's. Um, she's going to be in the Disney movie Tower of Terror and they are moving. They can now move forward with production that the lawsuit is over with. So there's no bad blood. And the comment she was made was very much like, I love working with Disney. It's a great place. I'm glad we could come to an agreement. I continue to look. I look forward to working with them more. And Disney basically had the same statement. So nice. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> initially, and I, I'm kind of joking about this kind of serious. Initially, I was thinking like, oh, well, Dish, Disney had to pay her some hush money. So all her other uh, co-stars don't start demanding more things. But uh, no, it's awesome that they came to an agreement. And uh, otherwise, what I got from that story is they're making a Tower of Terror movie. So that's pretty sweet. <laughs> yes, they are making a Tower of the Terror movie. Um, 
All right, let's talk some Star Wars news. Um, the Book of Boba Fett is going to premiere on December 29th. Um, so mark your calendars for that. Um, I'm excited. So like right after Christmas, we're going to get a little treat. Yeah. Uh, this one I thought was really interesting. George Lucas's original Star Wars vision is becoming an official movie. Um, and this was immediate. How click on the article and read. Now, when I say George Lucas's original Star Wars vision, you got to go deep. In, like you got to be a deep cut fan to know what I'm talking about. But for example, yeah. Luke Skywalker's name was never originally Luke Skywalker. Um, his original uh, star, his the original name was Deke Starkiller, um, which mm-hmm. origi- which was later changed to Luke. Um, uh, and he was already an established Jedi rather than being the farm boy. Um, so what I found out when I was reading this is that Marvel Comics was it Marvel? Yes, it was Marvel. Um, Marvel did a Marvel did a book called like the original Star Wars or something like that. Star Wars, the original story or whatever it was titled, where they took the original first draft of George's Star Wars script with no, no, no adaptations, nothing, and made it a comic book to show people this is what Star Wars could have been had George not changed a bunch of stuff got to his final draft that became the movie we know. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was, it was vastly, vastly different. Well, it looks like what they're doing is because of the success of Marvel's what if and star Wars visions, it looks like those studios that put that did the animation are going to do this as an animated film for Disney plus. All right, then I just thought that was cool. Um, you know, I think I, it's pretty exciting. Um, do you know if George Lucas is going to be involved at all? I mean, at this point, probably not. I just thought it was cool because they're basically it doesn't sound like yeah. they adapt the original script so much as they're going to adapt to the comic book that was based off that original first draft. Right. So, yeah, um, I don't yeah, know. It's, I just, it's really. Yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say it's just a really cool idea. That's all. So. Yeah, I think it'll be really neat to see. Um, I was thinking it'd be like awesome if they, they could have had uh, George Lucas like directing this or something like that. But I understand and he might not even want to uh, be involved in this, but it will be very interesting to see. Um, I really look forward to this. And um, yeah, it's just kind of exciting. I love that sort of like this is what could have happened or this is what the creator originally wanted to do and all that. It's it's pretty exciting pretty exciting stuff in general <laughs> so um and one more piece of news and then we'll talk our list tonight uh peter you're gonna nice. be in charge um on the 16th um i'm gonna take i'm gonna cover it as best as i can but the 16th is dc fandom october 16th will be oh DC, yes dc okay. fandom if you don't have time to sit in front of all the panels like I did last year, it's OK. I'm not going to freak out. I was kind of <laughs> like I was kind of looking at it going. I had the ability to sit there and watch. I found out about Fandom and I was like, sweet. I can't wait. It'll be awesome. A little virtual conference. Sit in the podcast room with the computer, get some snacks and watch some DC stuff and record news for the show. Yeah, I am ungodly busy with the day job on the 16th. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, it literally could not be the worst. I have a gap in between stuff that I can sit down and watch some of the trailers and maybe some of the big stuff because I know it's all going to be online. But um, yeah, but it's good. It's going to be a ton of news for us to sit down and discuss. 
So um, uh, just keep that in mind. So when you and I sit down to record on the week of the 21st, we're going to probably have a lot of stuff to talk about. So, yeah, I mean, sounds good. I'll uh, do my best to watch as much of it as I can. I can I can guarantee I'll watch all the trailers, but I'll try to get in some panel time as well. Um, and even if we don't, hopefully I'm not too busy. If you don't get panel time, there'll probably be transcripts of stuff for that kind of thing. So absolutely. Um, so anyway, you want to talk about the list tonight? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. All right. Um, Ryan, it's time to do the list, man. So do me a favor and roll the thing. for the top five all right pete uh so here we are um my this is this was my pick this week um this is a weird one because i wanted i just thought my thought of because you hit me with that party scene and i know you got the inspiration from the party scenes from my dinner scenes that i was talking about (laughs) Um, yeah but i was thinking about in a writing sense and not like it all comes from a script first and like the writer's king and so the director takes over and the director may take a scene and put it in the front. He may take something you know, else from a movie and alter the beginning, whatever, or the writer put it there to begin with. What I do remember is sitting there in English class and you're having to write a paper or a creative writing thing for your teacher or something. And they always talk about how that first sentence or that first paragraph or that first page has to grab your attention. What's the attention grabber? And if I translate to the film and television, I think to myself, what are the opening scenes that grabbed my attention before I knew anything about the movie? If I was going into a movie completely blind, what are the opening scenes that I loved the most going, oh, my God, that's amazing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so tonight we're going to talk about our top five favorite uh, opening sequences. And I'm going to spoil my list a little bit and say, surprise, surprise, Star Wars does not make an appearance on this list at all. Oh, wow. Um, and the reason blasphemy. I say no, I'm just kidding. It's it's not blasphemy. It's more of I was thinking about Star Wars and the big opening sequence that I think everyone when, when you think Star Wars and the opening sequence that we all go, oh, my goodness, about would probably be the original uh, 1977 A New Hope release when the ship comes overhead. Right. Yeah. I honestly think the reason I was not blown away by that when I saw it was because I was too little to understand why that was such a mind bending. It also made it also made me think about the other openings of Star Wars. And I don't know if an opening of the movies have caught me, caught my attention the way um, that I think they wanted it to. And I've seen them so many times that the impact I feel is gone just a little bit. Like, I believe me, I'm always in awe at those movies, but I think the impact of those being like my favorite opening sequences are just a little bit um, uh, downgraded, I guess is the best way of wording it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but at any rate. No, no, absolutely. I, I understand where you're coming from. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to the, I I think this list is a really fun topic. I think. Like you're talking from a writing aspect, like that first line in a book or first scene in a movie, I think 
when it's done right, there's like this genius phenomenon where you can really grab somebody's attention and hold it throughout this whole the whole story. And like the beginning and the end of the, of a story are typically the most important, but that doesn't mean the stuff in the middle is important as well. But I do think a really clever or just really good opening scene is a really awesome topic. Um, and then I want to throw this in, in a, as a little side note, even though it's like totally tangential but uh my favorite opening line of any book i've ever read is the opening line of the book choke because the first line of the book is if you plan on reading this don't bother <laughs> and i always thought that was a genius way to start a book but um <laughs> yeah we can we can jump into the list unless you had more to uh say no 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 absolutely well, let's jump right on in because we're gonna be we'll be talking about this for a minute so i might have some more nuggets like on that as we go but um yeah two honorable mentions I do as well. So I guess I can jump into my first yeah. one. Um, and this one I can keep pretty quick because we've talked about this movie quite a bit before, but I can also keep it pretty vague because it's kind of this one felt to me like a little bit of a cheat. Um, I went with the movie Wreck-It Ralph, the Disney animated film. And the reason why it feels like a cheat is it's not necessarily any it's not necessarily a specific moment from like the opening scene of this movie but it's just the first 10 minutes or so of the movie like that opening and just the feeling i get from it is just so cool like you get this really nostalgic exciting feeling about um witnessing all these video game characters in an arcade and how they all travel into the um into the surge protector and they all meet up and uh converse and stuff and th just that whole that whole like opening sequence that kind of explored all those ideas just really got me feeling really excited and nostalgic when i watched it and uh yeah you know i haven't had a movie that's given me a similar feeling to that for the most part so i just thought that was a really i was really impressed by that uh opening in general but like i said it's pretty vague because it's like i think it's really a couple scenes strung together and it's just kind of that main feeling I got from the beginning of that film. Yeah. Um, I completely forgot about the opening of Wreck-It Ralph when I was doing my list. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's all uh, good. I'm sure you'll pull up some ones that I'll completely forget about. So no, just that that's a really good call. Um, so, uh, the, uh, the mind, this first one's kind of a cheat too. Um, and it's mission impossible, not, the movie by itself, but the Mission Impossible, the series. And the only reason I say that is because they always start with some crazy death defying stunt that Tom Cruise is trying to pull off. Um, yeah. And it just and all of them. And I don't know if I have a favorite of any. Of them. It's more of a just uh, the series as a whole. Just each movie opens with some crazy stunt acrobatic thing. And you're just like, whoa, where are we going with this? You know, it's the attention, <laughs> it's the attention grabber. Do you know what I mean? And that's yeah, absolutely. That's the whole point. So and I always feel like there's a really good twist um, in like the when they start out with like the first sort of mini mission sequence, there's always like a really good twist that just keeps you uh, itching to watch the rest of the film. So, yeah, that's a definitely like you said, vague, but that's definitely a good uh, pick for your list. So, yeah. All right, man. Uh, what's your next one? Yeah. So my next one, this one is also kind of a cheat because it's another one where it's kind of a string of multiple scenes but it's definitely the opening of the movie and i went with the original uh nightmare on elm street and the reason why is because what's that original right 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, the very first uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie, because and the reason why is because I feel like horror movies do a really good job with these opening sort of scenes that have like some gruesome <laughs> sort of horrific happening that sets off the sequence of the events of the entire film. And a lot of times the first scene in a horror movie will happen to characters who aren't even the main characters of the movie. But the thing with Nightmare on Elm Street, and this one impacted me a lot, is because I saw this movie back when I was in grade school. Like I was at a sleepover at a friend's house and we were watching scary movies that we shouldn't have been for the age that we were. But I remember the beginning of Nightmare on Elm Street. The whole opening, you think you're going to be focusing on this girl, Tina. You think that Tina is going to be the main character of the movie. And uh, I mean, spoiler alert, but she ends up getting brutally slaughtered by uh, Freddy Krueger in one of her dreams. And then the movie shifts over to like her best friend, Nancy, and Nancy ends up being the main character. And at the age I was at, it blew my mind that this character for like the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie that you thought was going to be the main person they kill off and then they just go, okay, we're going to focus on this character instead. And like that just really threw me for a loop at the age I was when I watched it. And it really like made me second guess things and think about movies a different way. And so that one's like, like I said, it's kind of a string of a bunch of scenes, but it's definitely the opening of the movie. And it definitely is a really fun one when I look back on it. So right on. Um, yeah, I don't remember the opening of that movie. I haven't seen it in so long, uh, but it's a good thing. So, it's season because I could just throw it in right <laughs> now. <laughs> If you remember the the girl, there's a girl at the beginning who gets like pulled up on the wall and then onto the ceiling by Freddy, like in her dream. If that sounds vaguely familiar, that's the girl oh. that it seemed like it seemed like she was going to be the main character of the movie. And then she ends up dying. <laughs> and then we just shift over to her friend for the rest of the film. And it was really I think Wes Craven did that to be really meta about it. But it kind of was pretty genius the way he did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go the other direction and go with something, <laughs> go with something a little more family friendly. So for my next <laughs> nice. uh we're going to talk about the opening sequence to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, okay, nice. What I love about this opening sequence is Who Framed Roger Rabbit, if you have never seen it, first off, shame on you. And you should pause the podcast and go watch the movie, come back and finish the podcast. Um, but the opening sequence to that movie is a Roger Rabbit cartoon. Yes. OK. And eventually, like it's a cartoon, like you're le- legit watching the Roger Rabbit show. And then the director yells cut and the camera pans back and you see that they're doing the cartoon on a film set with actors and everything. And they have to do reset the lighting or they just something didn't work right. And they have to it's time to do the thing. And your brain's going, whoa, like, <laughs> um, that's my brain kind of like cracked open when I saw that the first time. And um, I just it still holds true. Um, and I absolutely love that opening sequence. First off, the cartoon parts hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and it's just really smart cartoon animation stuff. Uh, Roger Rabbit's such a cool cartoon character to begin with. Baby Herman trying uh, tr- um, crawling through the kitchen and all the horrible things that could potentially befall him. And Roger's trying to save the baby from getting injured. And then Roger gets injured and uh, he, instead of, he basically gets a refrigerator, hits him on the head and he's supposed to see stars, but instead he sees little birds. 
and the director, <laughs> right. No, that's wrong. Cut. We got to do it again. <laughs> like, yeah. Reset the scene. Um, and that always that just made me laugh just in general. But the idea of the cut and you pull back, um, I just love that little bit. And then the movie starts um, and it's all about behind the scenes Hollywood stuff with cartoons, you know, so. Um, so yeah. this one, this one, I think, is a great pick because uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is one of my favorite uh, movies of all time. I honestly couldn't remember the beginning of this movie, though. And uh, once you started talking about it and that it's actually a short, like an animated short that you end up pulling back from and that opens up the, uh, you know, the cartoons into the real world, if you will. And then the movie kind of goes from there. And uh, it's just a genius concept. But the reason I couldn't remember this is because um, and this actually came up when I was brainstorming for my, my list. But I remembered that. There's a Roger Rabbit short uh, animated film before uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, or at least there was on the VHS copy we had of that movie when we were younger. Yeah. And I think I, I might have kind of gotten this, the movie, the movie's like proper opening scene. I might have kind of gotten that mixed up with the uh, the short film before Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Um, but then also, I think with this one, I have a little bit of the star Wars conundrum that you were just talking about where I kind of grew up watching this movie. So I didn't realize that I, I, maybe I didn't realize the cleverness of, uh, pulling the camera back and you realizing that this isn't actually just an animated sequence. This is actually actors on a set and the meta aspect to that. I don't think I realized that that was even a thing, you know, when I first saw this movie because sure. I was so young. So that just kind of factors into like, I love the film, but I think I even like just now, I think you're kind of pointing out to me how meta and how genius that whole concept was, <laughs> you know, just because I grew up with it, you know, sometimes nostalgia uh, blinds you to certain things like that. So, All right. No, I got you. Um, what's your let's move on to our actual picks tonight. And to be honest, there's one I'm hoping we matched on, but I'm hoping we both save it to the end. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Um, at any rate. Yeah. So what's your first actual pick of the night? Yeah. So um, speaking of Star Wars, uh, Star Wars actually does make my list. Um, okay. But this is one of those things where I grew up with the original trilogy. And Drew, like you were saying, it's hard for those even like as impactful as those opening scenes could be on you, just because like if you've been watching it since you were such a young age, you might not have that impact just because you just always knew the way that those things were. So the first pick on my list is actually probably pretty controversial, but I went to the opening scene in Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. And this one is a very nostalgic and personal pick for me um, because I know this movie is divisive. Some people love it. Some people hate it. But the reason why this pick makes my list is because besides uh, the special editions, this was the first time seeing Star Wars on the big screen for me or, you know, one of the first times, you know, if you include the special edition movies. Sure. But seeing it on the big screen and then going into that first scene with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon um, going aboard the uh, Trade Federation ships and uh, them trying to pose as ambassadors and then, uh, you know, the uh, Nemoidians finding out that they're actually Jedi and they basically ambush them. It was just such a cool scene. And like you watch the original trilogies and uh, 
they're the original trilogy and you only have a couple Jedi that you really deal with. You have Obi-Wan who's an old man and then you have Luke who does a lot who does actually do a lot of cool stuff especially by the time you get to like Return of the Jedi and stuff. And then you have Yoda and then otherwise you're kind of wanting to see more Jedi like lightsaber action and stuff and I feel like this scene Especially when I was like a sixth grader watching this for the first time in theaters, it was so exciting. And I got to see Jedi's fight with lightsabers against droids and doing all sorts of just really cool stuff with the force and, uh, you know, Qui-Gon's like burning, (laughs) burning through doors with his lightsaber and stuff. And there's just so many cool concepts. And it just felt like. I didn't realize that this awesome Jedi action was missing from my life at that point, but it really was. And I was so excited to uh, to see it. And uh, otherwise, I mean, just from a story standpoint, this scene, it's pretty cool. This is like the first scene of the prequel trilogy. And you're already seeing uh, spoiler alerts, but you're already seeing Palpatine play things from both sides of the sides of the coin. Like he is controlling the Jedi as uh, chancellor Palpatine and he's controlling the Nemoidians as uh, Darth Sidious. And that kind of is a really cool way to start out the politics as well as just the themes uh, involved with uh, Palpatine throughout the, the entire prequel trilogy. And it's just something really cool to keep in mind. So uh, Drew, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this opening scene in general. Well, the big thing about this opening sequence is it's the first time we actually got to see the Jedi in their prime. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Prior to prior to the episode one releasing, all we ever had was the original trilogy, the original trilogy. And we got to see Luke Skywalker and yeah, you got to see Obi-Wan, but Obi-Wan didn't do what, you know, we kind of all dreamed to do. So watching the, fluidity of the lightsaber movements watching the master masterful control of the force and all this stuff like they're in their prime they're doing what they do and yeah we're we're not realizing we're at the end of the jedi run so much as we're watching this um but they are as powerful as we've always heard stories about so um and that's one of yeah. the things that really like stands uh tall as far as that goes so um but yeah no i mean it's a great pick just you know subject matter alone so yeah absolutely and like i said like the age i was at when i saw this this was like the greatest (laughs) scene i could ever imagine so um yeah what do you got next what do you got is this your first pick Um, official pick of the night uh yeah so my first actual pick of the night is going to be the movie blade oh nice this is a great one Uh, i didn't even think of this but yeah and this is specifically like look i like vampire movies i like the blade movies but this is This is the movie opens with a vampire luring a human to a nightclub and he just thinks he's off going for a nightclub. And, you know, you don't really know. It's kind of like, where are we going with this? And she gets there and it's clearly like a vampire nightclub and you just don't think about it. And you're just like, okay, vampire nightclub. Cool. This guy's clearly dinner. (laughs) And (laughs) then they start raining blood out of the sprinkler system because yep. it's a vampire nightclub it is just raining blood down on everybody <laughs> and everyone's vamping out and stuff and then blade comes in and just starts slaughtering vampires and by the end of that opening sequence you're just like i am in i am strapped in ready for the roller coaster let's do this <laughs> um and it just it just got you so excited and like just watching the, the bits of martial arts, the swords like slicing through the vampires and then like bursting into cinders because of the silver. Um, that cool, like 
throwing star thing that he chucks around the room and it like comes back to his hand and it just like boomerangs and like kills everybody. Like, yeah, just awesome. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to know what more to say. This is just a great pick. And I, I can't believe I forgot about this one. But uh, that's awesome. The only thing I could add is I don't know. And Drew, you probably know because you probably have the soundtrack. But I know the music was pretty, pretty awesome for this scene as well. I, but I um, do have the soundtrack and it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <So. laughs> but uh, but great pick in general. Oh, I also think it's funny that you're bragging one pick ago about having Roger Rabbit <laughs> be more family friendly. <laughs> the next pick is people getting blood rained on them and blade comes in and kills them all. And yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah. So what's, I'm throwing it back to you, dude. What's your next one? So my next one, um, this one's a little bit weird, but I went with, uh, the nightmare before Christmas. Um, cause if you remember the opening of that movie, it starts out with you going into the woods and you go into those like, the circle of trees with different doors on them with different oh, yeah. uh, symbols for different holidays. And you hear the uh, there's like an overdub of a narrator's voice who has kind of this little poetic uh, opening to the movie about like, I can't I can't quote it. I don't remember it, but it's essentially like he's kind of summarizing that there's these magical holiday lands and uh, we're going to take you on a ride uh, through a story of one of these holiday lands. And then the Halloween jack-o'-lantern looking door opens on that tree and you go inside uh, the dark tree trunk and uh, you end up going straight up to Halloween town and it goes right into the song. This is Halloween, which is, I don't know if I want to say the best, but it's arguably one of the best songs in that movie in general. Um, I think the opening sequence of it is really, really cool um, as far as you getting to see a lot of cool character designs and a lot of cool monsters and just clever Halloween gags and stuff, as well as just it being a really catchy song with some really great lyrics because it's just Danny Elfman doing what he does best. Um, but it's also cool because the scene introduces us to Jack Skellington and it introduces him as like this sort of king of Halloween. Like this is this mighty spectacular character who's held in very high regard and from there, the movie starts to explore Jack's sort of uh, vulnerabilities and self-doubts and stuff. And it's kind of a cool way to open with this character seeming like he's got everything under control and really just like this mighty, amazing character. And then exploring sort of, um, you know, the, the areas where he thinks he, he's falling short or for his longings. I think it's a cool juxtaposition. But in general, this one, I don't know if it's like, the most clever opening. I just think it works really perfectly with setting up uh, the film that follows from there. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on this pick, Drew, but not much more than you already said. But yeah, that opening. nice. <laughs> but no, <laughs> but you're right. And like, I completely forgot about the I forgot about that beginning with the trees and seeing all the holiday doors, if you will. Yep. Um, so yeah, no, I totally hear you. And that's like the good call. Um, that's not, I completely forgot about the opening of this movie when I was going through my uh, list. So, um, and Googling opening sequences is just as weird as Googling. Uh, what was the other one I was having an issue with? Um, party, scenes, party maybe? scenes. Yeah. When you Google that, you're just like, yeah, okay. That's not what I'm <laughs> talking about. I know that's what the internet wants to talk about. Um, 
so yeah, it's the same kind of situation. So uh, it was kind of like most famous opening sequence as well. That's not entirely <laughs> like what I'm mm-hmm. looking for. Um, all right, so I'm going to jump on this. My next one is Jurassic Park. Um, the, oh, of course. Nice. The opening sequence of Jurassic Park. Look, we all went to this movie to see a dinosaur. And it's a little bit of time. There's a bunch this some setup and exposition before you actually get to see a dinosaur in this movie. But the opening sequence of this movie is a dinosaur being delivered to the park. And... Mm-hmm. It's you don't know what it is. I mean, obviously, it, later you understand that it's a velociraptor, but <laughs> yeah, um, you don't know what kind of dinosaur it is yet. What you do know is that um, uh, there's an issue and the cage gets pulled away just a little bit and the guy gets sucked in and he gets eaten. And it's like super intense. And there's a part where you're just like you're a little terrified to now see the dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but you're just you're you were excited going in and you're just a thousand times more excited now and you can't wait to see where this is going. Um, so I don't have a lot to say on it, but because we all love Jurassic Park and I think we all know that sequence, but it's such a cool, well-designed opening. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I just think uh, it's hard to I don't want to like ramble on because I think you kind of summed it up perfectly. But this is a great opening sequence. I totally forgot about this one. But uh, no, it's a really good one. And it has like good payoffs later on in the film when it comes to how uh, vicious and smart and everything the Raptors are, as well as um, I can't remember his name, but the main guy yelling, shoot her in that opening scene, like it kind of sets up his character really well as as yeah. well. So. So what do you got for me? So my next one is pretty goofy, um, but uh, I went with the opening scene of uh, Chasing Amy, uh, that opening scene at the comic convention. Um, It's kind of funny. I've heard people say before (laughs) people who didn't care for the rest of the movie say that if you want to watch this movie, you just watch this opening scene and you can turn the movie off after that. I don't agree with that. I actually really don't love agree with that at Chasing all. Amy as a film. Yeah, no, I, I'm on the same page, but um, I do admit that like this opening scene is one of the greatest parts. Uh, when I first saw the movie, which I was a lot younger when I watched it the first time, this was the main part of the movie that I really loved. But it's at the time this came out because this came out um I don't know if it was like 96 or 97. It was like late 90s. And uh, it was one of those things where you would never see a scene like this that takes place at a comic book convention. And a lot of the sort of, um, you know, just off the cuff conversations that you hear while wandering around a conversation convention, you know, and and the uh, the sort of um, funny interactions that fans have with uh, comic book creators and stuff. And it was just really I just think it's a really great scene just both for that nostalgic aspect of like, yeah, when I first saw this, I never imagined I'd ever see something like this in a movie. But also just there, like I said, there is a lot of really funny dialogue um, between the fans and the creators of this part. There's a lot of cool if you pay attention to the background or if you know some of your comic pros, there's a lot of fun little cameos in there. Like Mike Allred, the creator of Madman, for example, has a pretty funny line um, in the opening scene, as well as like some other small sort of independent 
uh, comic book companies are featured in there too, like uh, Antarctic Press, and there's some other things in the background. But uh, Drew, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one. This one's just really, I just love this scene, and I just think it's a lot of fun. You know, it does a really good job setting up the characters, but it just, I just think this scene's a blast to watch. So it does. One of the uh, one of the background uh, things that you uh, could mention is Grendel. Uh, there's some Grendel artwork and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because he's a he's a big fan of Grendel. Um, the, uh, the, the opening sequence, I completely, I don't want to say I forgot about this movie, but for some reason I feel like this scene was a little farther in to the movie, but I guess it's really not. Um, but yeah, the, yeah. uh, the big thing that the big takeaway that I really like about it is that scene where they go to the panel discussion. It's one thing to see the comic book convention as is, but when they go to the panel discussion and you have the guy up there talking about positive black male role models in the realm of science fiction fantasy, <laughs> and he says that there's not enough of them. And one of the, and I think it's I, Jason Lee's character, which is Banksy is, is, not holding yeah, Jason Affleck and Jason Lee's banks banky banky Bank. yeah yeah um yeah he stands up and says uh what about Lando Calrissian <laughs> um and hilarity ensues after that I just I, <laughs> it's so funny um but that scene the the panel scene is probably my favorite part about that sequence so absolutely yeah all right man um I guess that throws it back to me then doesn't it um, yeah. Okay, so opening sequence for me, the next pick on my list is the Zack Snyder remake of Dawn of the Dead. Uh, oh, nice. This is, yes, it's a zombie film, but they have to cover the outbreak, and it's handled all within the opening credits, leading up to the little dead zombie girl in the hallway that attacks, and then it just it goes from there. But that's the first time, because so you got Sarah Polly's character is a nurse at a hospital. And as she's leaving, you, you, she passes the TV. The news is on. She's not noticing the news. You're getting the clips from the news, television shows, that kind of thing. She gets home. She's taking a shower. Her husband or boyfriend, you're not entirely sure, comes home, whatever. Uh, they have a night. They go to bed. They wake up in the morning. Little dead girl in the hallway. They're like, is everything okay? And the little girl rushes at him. It's the first time you get to see the <laughs> zombie be fast. And, it's for, and you get to see how fast they turn in that sequence and then her husband or boyfriend, whoever he was starts chasing her. She's out of the house and she gets in the car driving down the street. He jumps on the car trying to get at her. And as she's driving, you see how destroyed the world already is. And the movie is only what three minutes in at this point. Um, yeah, you're, it's such a cool opening sequence and it's terrifying. The little dead girl in the hallway, terrifying because she's just standing there waiting for a moment to strike. Cause you're not sure what her deal is yet. Uh, Cause you don't have a good look. So um, just awesome. So yeah. yeah no, that, um, I know I just kind of like completely like open that up, but yeah. So yeah, no, this is an awesome pick. It's a, it's a really great opening to a zombie movie. Um, and I don't have too much to add, but I was just thinking since like you mentioned the, uh, the little dead girl who is walking down the hallway and ends up attacking the uh, couple at the beginning of this movie, the way that she walks is very striking and unique. And it's kind of become this iconic thing where um, like you've seen it parodied and um, most notably like Shaun of the dead has a pretty good parody of the way that that little girl walks, but it is something that's really striking and it's kind of a really cool thing. Um, on, I'm assuming Zack Snyder's uh, behalf because 
there's been so many zombie movies, even when this came out, like there's there had been, you know, hundreds of zombie movies that have already came out. But Zack Snyder found a way to make this first zombie that you get a good look at. To He found a way to make her just move in a really iconic um unique, interesting way that um, obviously sparked a lot of parodies and obviously is really memorable. And I just think that's really impressive about the whole thing as well. So, um, yeah, like I said, not a lot to add, but that's (laughs) maybe my one little tidbit there. Yeah, it's all good. Um, Yeah. So what uh, what do you got for your next one? Okay, cool. So. I, you did mention Blade. Um, I was about to say not a lot of comic book movies, but you did bring up Blade and uh, maybe I'm missing other ones. But my next pick, I actually went with the opening of uh, Man of Steel. Um, this is a movie that starts out on Krypton and it starts out with uh, Kal-El, uh, Superman's birth. And it goes, you know, it explores the um, the destruction of Krypton and a lot of the ins and outs of the sort of uh, political um, conflicts and stuff on this alien planet. And uh, it's hard to know what all to say about this one, but it's just one of those things where Krypton in this movie was portrayed visually in such an interesting and such a cool and believable way that I just really loved it, you know, because prior to this, um, at least in live action movie form, we'd really only seen like the classic Superman uh, portrayals of Krypton, like the Christopher Reeve movies and Krypton in those movies. I do appreciate the aesthetics they were able to pull off, but it's very a lot of those scenes and a lot of those sets are very uh, pristine. Like there's not a lot of detail. There's a lot of sort of uh, crystallized or geometric looking architecture and furniture and stuff, but there's not a lot of, it's not like when you finally see man of steel and it feels like a very lived in and real world with a lot of decoration to it. And just a lot of, um, intrigue. And there's a lot of just really planned out cool technology. And, uh, just aesthetically, the opening of this movie is really beautiful. Um, as well as, like I mentioned, the political con, uh, concepts and stuff like that. Uh, this is a movie that, is very divisive. Like I know when it came out, it was kind of a 50 50, whether somebody you talked to liked this movie or not, but every single person I talked to loved the opening on Krypton. And a lot of people who I know who didn't care too much for man of steel did say, you know, I could have watched the whole movie about Krypton. That stuff was awesome. So I think that kind of, uh, you know, helps this opening scene speak for itself. But uh, Drew, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one at all. I really, really enjoyed the Krypton design aesthetics, like the way the planet, yeah. the design of the armor, the ships, the buildings, all that's like the tech. It just I really liked the design of everything. Um, <laughs> the thing that I really liked about the opening sequence of that movie is how action packed it was in comparison to the uh, 1978 75. Yeah. 75. I think 78. I, th- I think, I think you're right. 78. The original Superman, the movie 78. Um, and not that I didn't like that. It's just when you compare the two, you're just like, wow, I totally prefer the man of steel version just because it was exciting. And, um, it was intense and you felt the need of the issue of urgency with the planet being destroyed and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I totally would have watched more Krypton. <laughs> so, yeah. 
and and I also do like that uh, this opening, like it does open with, uh, you know, you're you're witnessing Superman's natural birth, and uh, shortly after that, you find out that that's actually kind of like illegal um, in in like Krypton's uh, government. Like that is actually something you're not supposed to do, and that was kind of a surprise. Um, and then you know, Jor-El takes it one step further, and he steals the Kryptonian Codex because he wants to. Uh, basically implant all the Kryptonians DNA information into his newly born son's DNA. And like, so it's like, not only are they going against the ruling class by having a natural birth, but Jarrell takes it another step further and steals all the uh, Kryptonian DNA uh, information, essentially, which it leads to a lot of the action packed scenes you're thinking of. But long story short, this whole the whole like natural birth um, aspect to the whole thing actually does play a lot into the uh, the rest of the themes surrounding not only the Krypton aspects of this movie, but also just the film in general, like a lot of the themes in there. So it's kind of just a cool aspect of the whole thing. And I do like that. That's what it start what the movie starts out with right away. So, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have more to say about Man of Steel or if you want to jump into your next pick. Um, well, all right. So my next one, and I'm surprised you haven't brought this up yet. Um, for me, it's the movie Scream. Um, yes, this one made my short list, but uh, okay. yeah, go on. This so the thing that I love, one. the thing that I love about this opening sequence is like, you know, you're walking into a slasher movie, but the movie was advertised uh, with Drew Barrymore being one of the leads. It was also advertised as one of Drew Barrymore's best performances ever. And she dies in the opening sequence. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is gripping. It's incredibly. It's so like the way it's shot is incredibly smart. The the intensity builds um, the way it all plays out. Her performance, her panic, um, everything, the script, the cinematography, the act like all of it together. It was such a cool gripping sequence. And it's just, it's not something I think, I just don't think it's a lot of something most of us thought about when we went into that movie. Um, the movie starts with her making some popcorns, phone rings, and it goes from there. And it gets, it's just a, it's probably one of the most, I would say it's one of the most famous horror movie openings. Um, in my opinion, I could be wrong. I just think it's one of the most famous openings for a horror movie. Um, yeah, it's it's one of my favorite opening sequences ever. Um, such a cool, such a cool bit. So, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't argue with the uh, the fact that this is one of the most famous horror movie openings. And um, I just love the aspect of, uh, you know, the killer in this horror movie calls his first victim on the phone and starts having a conversation with her. And they end up talking about horror movies. And there's the whole meta aspect of like they're in a horror movie, but they're talking about a horror movie and she's about to die. And it's it's a really clever thing. Um, you know, this is another Wes Craven movie. I mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street before. And like a lot of the meta aspects of Nightmare on Elm Street, I feel like Wes Craven just went hardcore on when it comes to Scream. And it's just really enjoyable um in general so i definitely agree with this pick i don't know if i have too much to add but uh yeah definitely a good one yeah i don't have too much to add only because we've <laughs> you know we've talked about scream in the past but the opening sequence is just masterful so anyway absolutely 
Uh, all right, man. Final pick of the night. Yeah. So my final one, and I feel like we might match on this one, but I went with Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, we did match. This is the one I was <laughs> awesome. hoping we were going to say for the end. Amazing. Um, I guess great minds think alike. So uh, go ahead, man. Well, this is one of those ones that I did think of the scene right away when you said it. But it's also this is one of the few that's on my list that you see on a lot of the top 10 greatest op- moving opening scenes uh, online. And this is uh, it's just such a perfect opening scene like it tells a story and it's very interesting and it's just cool and it perfectly sets up the uh adventure franchise that is indiana jones but um i mean if anybody doesn't know the scene this is the famous scene where indiana jones you know raids this uh this old i don't even know what you call it a cavern a tomb a crypt but he he goes into it it's to kind of like a temple, if you will. Like it's yeah, temple. Maybe that's the best word. A bit of a um, it's a bit of a dungeon delve if you're a D and D. But it's it's where he he ends up going into this temple in the middle of the jungle um, with this crew that he has, and he has to go through all these uh, obstacles and uh, booby traps and stuff, and his crew is slowly whittled down and whittled down and eventually he has to steal and it drew i know you know the correct term for it but it's like a a fertility statue uh is that correct yeah it's the fertility idol yeah um and then it leads to the of course the super iconic um indiana jones running out of this cave being chased by a giant boulder um and it's just it's just perfect i feel like i'm not doing this scene justice but it's just it's such a great, like really unique. It's like, it feels very unique and very inspiring, but it also feels really familiar in a lot of ways. And it just feels like, Oh, this is awesome adventure stuff that I've been longing for and that I haven't seen in a while, but it's also, I've never seen anything like this before in my life, you know? And it's just, it's just an amazing opening sequence. What are your thoughts on this whole thing, Drew? (laughs) Um, so what I love about this, so I like how you said it tells a story and it sets up the story. Um, yeah. The opening sequence is literally a couple guys walking through the woods. And you don't really know what they're doing. They're clearly looking for something. The one guy's got a map and a whip and a gun and he's got a cool hat. Um, you don't really know what's in yet. One of the guys is clearly not that great. He runs off. And then I like that there's that line there's a line, the very first line, I think the very first line is really spoken in English anyway, is when Indiana Jones is like, this must be for where Forresto cast it cashed in. And Mm -hmm. I love that line because it tells you that there's more to the story that we're not seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's following the tracks of someone else. And uh, they go into the cave and there's booby trap and you're kind of like, whoa, what is this? This opening sequence tells you everything you need to know about Indiana Jones as a character. Mm-hmm. It introduces your hero in like the coolest way. And you are on the adventure and you're in for the ride and you don't even know what you're there for. You're just like this moments of danger, whether it's the spiders or uh, the pit that he's got to swing across or the pressure plates that activate the uh, the the uh, like arrows that shoot the poise, on the wall, the poise, the darts, darts, or whatever. Yeah. darts, or that crazy like arrow wall, like 
that spiked like wall that kind of comes out and tries to crush you or stab you. Yeah. Um, there's, there's booby traps and then he gets to the idol and you're just like, Oh, he's got it. And then he does the cool thing with the sandbag and he gets the idol and suddenly the whole thing starts crumbling and then you've got to run <laughs> older and it's just action packed and it's perfect. It tells you everything you need to know about Indiana Jones as a character. It introduces your hero at the end of that scene. You get introduced to Bella. So you're, introduced to the villain of the movie itself um and it sets you on this adventure of where's this guy going what is this it's just it's beautiful and it's incredible and you i don't think you could start i honestly don't know if you could start a movie in any other way to make it that exciting um when i think about the movie as whole that one line where he's like this is where foresto cashed in if you listen to the lines of dialogue that was so beautifully written. The whole movie was so beautifully written in the sense that there were clearly elements of this guy's life that we're only getting through dialogue now because we're not getting prequel films. Um, yeah. Didn't exist at the time. Um, actually, uh, Temple of Doom is the first real prequel because it takes place one year prior to the events of Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you didn't know this. Um, uh and you can, and if you watch the, and if you pay attention, the script lends to certain things that he learned from Temple of Doom, which is why his character is the way he is when you see him in Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you watch them in that like reverse order, if you will, um, nice. It's it's really kind of cool. Um, but the, uh, but um, it's such a cool opening, and I, and it's one that always rings rings with me when someone talks about openings of movies. And this is one that when I thought of this list, it was the very first one I thought of. And it was on my list before I even started making it. I'm like, I know this is my <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, just a complete masterpiece. Uh, yeah, I don't really have anything else to add to that. So, yeah, same. I think uh, I think you did a good job summing it all up. But, yeah, definitely a really awesome pick. And probably the best pick we could have saved for last. Cause it is just a perfect and just super exciting, amazing opening of a movie. So, yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of this list. Uh, yeah. Doing next week. So I don't really know why I thought of this one. I think it's because we did our favorite movies from the year 2001 pretty recently. And okay. uh, I talked quite a bit about saving Silverman <laughs> on that episode. Okay. And uh, it kind of inspired me. I think it'd be fun to talk about our top five favorite Jack Black movies next week. Oh. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the pick that I went with. So another actor list. And I think this one will be fun. Uh, that's funny. All right. Yeah. That's cool. We but, don't do we don't do actors very often, so that'll be that'll be an interesting uh, list pick, I guess. And uh, I do think Jack Black is a perfect actor where he's he's known for his comedic roles, but he has done another a number of serious roles and just really obscure bit parts, especially early in his career. So we might have a lot of just random stuff to talk about next week. <laughs> yeah, we might, and we but we might match a bunch too, so that could be interesting. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But yeah, all right, dude. Um, well, everybody, uh, do us all a favor and check out our, our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with the uh, link to our email, top5report.gmail.com. Uh, by the way, on our website is, if you're not seeing it on like iTunes or iHeartRadio or Stitcher or wherever we're uh, located, every episode of our show is on our website from episode one all the way to what we just recorded, episode 166. 
Anyway, like I said, we are on Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also uh, hit us up on our social media or our email. Either way, it works. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I'll be reminding you to be careful out there as you don't want to catch a case of stick it to man neosis. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> you put some thought into that one. All right, man. Well, well uh, Dewey do, do Schneebly did, so. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Uh, have a good night.